Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email. This from somebody who actually asked me. You know, Carol, I'm not sure if this is a sexual addiction or not. I actually like to wear women's panties. It feels wrong. And yet nobody knows. Tell me, what do you think? Is is it something that I should be concerned about? Now, here's what I believe. Whenever somebody says to me, it feels wrong, then I would be interviewing him or her to find out, what do you mean by that? Is there shame? Um, are you holding it a secret? Is it something that just does not feel right? Because if those are things that are true, what I know is that, yeah, you you may not have a sexual addiction, but you need to curb that behavior because it brings about negative feelings about you. It seems so, in, you know, easy to understand, but truly it isn't. If something feels wrong, you probably need to get to a counselor that has some expertise in the field to let you know, is it wrong? Now, really, this person asked me if it was wrong. And what I know to be true is that if it's not hurting anybody, and if it's your own thing, then more than likely it isn't wrong. But if you feel bad about it and there is shame and maybe there's even been some trauma around it early on in your life, oh, boy, then I do believe that in actuality it is wrong. Not wrong, 
But if it feels wrong, you need to do something different about it. So I'd be interested in in hearing from this person and finding out was it something he could stop. If he can't stop, then it's compulsive. And if that compulsion feels out of control, then we need to look at is it something very significant that is brain-locked in his mind uh, called a fetish, or is it something that absolutely drives him to act out in different ways? That might be sexual addiction. See, I don't think that wearing women's panties for a man is sexual addiction. Oh, I know it isn't. But if wearing women's panties turns into looking for other people that wear them, turns into meeting other people that do it, and he's in some sort of relationship where that would be cheating, guess what? There's no doubt in my mind. He's acting out. So I appreciate him getting back with me. You know, I'm kind of that safe person that can say, you know what, I absolutely believe this is an issue that you need to look at. So take yourself to a CSAT. You can get to a CSAT by going to sexhelp.com and then putting your zip code in, your country, your state and city, and figuring out who would be the best person to do this work with you. Okay, I got another email. Um, And this person actually says, Hey, Carol, I am a sex addict. I use pornography and fantasies to escape. It's been about two years since my last relapse. I still find myself looking at other women's body parts. Most of the time, it's less than one second and only once. Good for him. Less than one second and only once is a great manageable recovery tool to really perseverating on it, fantasizing about it, and perhaps acting out about it. So you get my drift. If this person was in recovery and he noticed a body part and he stayed focused on it and then he fantasized about it and then he acted out further, perhaps masturbation or getting on webcams, chatting it up, going to bars, going to strip clubs, you know, and and looking for that same body part, that's a problem. So he said, um, now, here's the dilemma. I look sometimes without thinking. During dinner with my wife, she will report that I may look at the same waitress five times. I don't remember doing it, but I believe her. When I do this, am I objectifying? If I am, how do I stop? Well, there's two issues here. I cannot believe um, Brett, we're going to call him Brett, that you would ask me if that's a problem. Because, of course, it's a problem. You're with your wife You're supposed to be connecting to her. You're supposed to be um, 
finding intimate moments to share together, and she notices that you look at somebody at least five times. That would be a problem for a non-sex addict. And yet you said, I am a sex addict. And my wife says I look at waitresses sometimes five times in a row. And you don't remember it. So, yeah, it is objectifying. So now you ask, well, how do I stop? I'm not dwelling on the person sexually, but my head turns automatically and I end up taking a look at her behind. I'm being very hard on myself and it definitely bothers my wife. My co- oh, Now, here, here's a normal counselor, right? My counselor says it's normal male testosterone. I don't know what to do. Well, you know what? If you weren't a sex addict, it would be male testosterone. I don't know if I'd call it normal, but I would definitely say it's male testosterone. But you've already said I'm a sex addict. So i got to take you to a higher standard. And that means, no, you can't be with your wife and look at somebody five times and look at her behind. That is compulsive behavior. And if you don't know that you're doing it, that scares me even more. So, Brett, basically you ask, what should I do? And again, I would get myself to a certified sexual addictions counselor so that you can work on some of the recovery tasks. Um, They have been established through Dr. Patrick Carnes. And they're very helpful in actually providing the boundaries that you need and the consequences to take your life to the next level. And, Brett, here's what I promise. I absolutely promise you that if you work hard on this stuff, well, uh, you will be an amazing person. You'll be working super hard, and you will be taking your recovery to the next level by following the boundaries, practicing the recovery tools. You know, maybe that means you have to sit facing the wall. Got a lot of addicts to face the wall. It's not punishment. It takes the temptation away. Maybe you have to go to places that are not places where you might see a waitress in a low-cut blouse or in a short skirt. This is exactly what you need to do to make your life happen. And I'm going to tell you from the get-go that when you do those things and you take some of the some of the temptation out of it, wow, it really 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 makes a difference. So, I really want to commend you for getting a hold of me. I know it can be very difficult, but what I know to be true is that when you've contacted me, you really want some help, and I commend you for that. You're wanting to make your life different. All right, Brett, good luck with that. You know, I know that it can be very, very difficult. Now, I got one more email, 
and it is from a person, we'll call him Denny. And and my listening audience probably knows that these are all fake names because in no way do I want to out anybody. But Denny says, good morning. Hey, I'm sitting in my car right now sending you this email and listening to your weekly podcast. I want to thank you from my heart for the absolute love you have as a person, and I do. I want all of you men and women to get healthy, and I know you can do it. And when you do, I promise you, you're going to be better than 98% of those people out there. So he says, myself, I've been in a 12-step sex addiction program for over three years now. I have a little more than a year of sexual sobriety. And it was really tough, but I disclosed to my wife of 18 years, and she was floored. I completely betrayed her. I had a number of additional health problems going in simultaneously, and it has been a really rocky road. So here's what I want to know. You know, the work you've been doing, Carol, has been very profound to my recovery, and I'm thankful. I live in the central Washington state, and in my town, there is an essay group and an essay group that I commute to each week. However, there are no CSAP people here. That's been very frustrating because unless that training is there, most counselors are just not that helpful. So what do I do? Well, I would tell you to go to sexhelp.com and look for counselors or therapists that do consultation, that their state allows them to do consultation so that you can get the help you need. Now, I am not tooting my own horn, but I am one of those counselors. I'm somebody who will meet with you. I'm a coach. So I will coach you into the the right direction for recovery skills. And, wow, I really, really, really believe in that. And I know that it's really tough. And I get that, you know, you need somebody who is willing to do the work to get you where you need to be. So here we go. I really want you to find somebody in your area, and if there is nobody in your area, then here's what I know to be true. You definitely need to find somebody who can consult via Skype or Zoom or one of those, uh, even phone coaching, to get you to the right right person or to get you to the right book or to take you to the right recovery situation. Maybe that's an intensive. Maybe that is a specific residential treatment center that will help you. And maybe it's just, as I do more, more often than not, sitting you down for three or four sessions and saying, I want you to read this book. I want you to start doing these things. I want you to find a consultant that's willing to work with you for weeks, months, or years. Because, you know, this is this is a situation that takes three to five years to correct. 
when I was a therapist doing Ericksonian therapist, I would see you six to eight times, and that was it. But sex addiction is different. Sex addiction means that you absolutely have to follow through on all those things that will really make a difference. And that's not a quick fix. That is something that you work very diligently on, and I promise you, when you work it, it works. So that is, again, what I absolutely promise. And tonight, I'm really excited because I'm going to be talking with Jackie Pack, and she's currently writing a book that explores the relationship one has with their shadow side. And if anybody has ever read Debbie Ford's book, um, Chasing the Dark Side of the Light Chasers, you know that we all, including Jackie and myself, have dark sides. We absolutely have sides inside of us that nobody really understands. We don't advertise it. And so Jackie's been doing a lot of studying on one of my favorite people, Carl Jung, who talked about the shadow and the self and how to deal with that. So Jackie, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on and to hear about this book that you're writing. Hi, Carol. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell us a little bit about um, how you got invested in this work. Um, you know, I, I, I think like a lot of other therapists that I know who do, um, work with addiction, um, it's kind of a calling. It's kind of a, a job that comes and finds us. At least that's how I felt. Um, I found my path into this when I was in graduate school. This is not what I thought I would be doing. And yet I've been doing it for over 20 years and I absolutely love it. Okay, so obviously you've been doing it for a long, long time, and you believe that in recovery work, when you focus on sobriety alone or just stopping the behavior, that you're not doing the deeper work of exploring the shadow and understanding the workings and the origins of the shadow. And and actually, it was interesting because before I had your information, I said, You've got to figure out how to surrender to the shadow, and that, of course, is what you call becoming an ally with the shadow. Tell right. me a little about the shadow and what does bypassing mean? Yeah, so I think, you know, when I talk about bypassing, one of the um, examples that I'll use, you know, if you're stuck in traffic or if you know that there's an accident or something like that um, and you're familiar with the area, you can often bypass road or a traffic jam or an accident, um, and you'll do that. You'll find a quicker way to get where you're going. Um, And that's fine if you're in your car and you're avoiding a traffic jam, but it's a different thing when you're in therapy and you want to get to this end result, but you want to get there kind of quick and, and as painless as possible. And that's understandable. I think absolutely. Why would we want to go through more pain than we need to? But I find a lot of times bypassing doesn't really work, and it's not as effective, and we we skip over and we miss some really important pieces of healing if we bypass. Okay, so bypassing is about 
going past the behavior and not really delving into what does it mean and what do you do to work with it? Yeah, so bypassing would be, you know, it can be using spiritual practices, it can be using your own belief system in order to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, in order to avoid the unresolved wounds or our developmental needs. Um, And I think bypassing is also a strategy. It's a strategy for avoiding the pain, but it also legitimizes your strategy. So I may on some level know that I'm avoiding these things, but I've come up with a reason that I tell myself it's totally legitimate to do that. And this is a really good reason that I'm avoiding. So it distances us from our pain and our difficult issues, but in the long run, it tends to keep us at a distance from our own authentic self, which is why it interferes with healing. Okay. And so clearly what does bypassing look like? In a person's life, you know, an, a sex addict, what does bypassing look like? Well, for example, you know, with, with sex addiction, obviously it's using sex in order to feel better, in order to feel desired, in order to be seen, in order to somehow feel more secure. Um, sometimes we'll see, see people, like I've worked with clients before, who will talk about like they're getting into this tantric practice. Um, and it sounds... It sounds really deep. It sounds really connecting. But when I've worked with them in sex addiction, often it's a way of what I call kind of going the width. You know, they'll be involved in a lot of different sexual practices. So they, they're scanning the width, but there's not, they're lacking the depth. Um, and so maybe they've done a lot of things or with a porn addict, they may have looked at a lot of different kinds of porn. So that's the width but it doesn't lack, it does lack the depth. So they don't have themselves in that because they really haven't done that deep work of connecting with their authentic self. So that's one way um, I think that people can bypass sexually. Um, You know, another way they may be focused more on the mechanics of sex rather than what's happening in their body, what's happening with their partner's body as they're engaged in sex. Um, They can eroticize emotions. Um, you know, so <clears throat> anger can become eroticized. Um, different emotions can become sexualized. When I'm feeling a certain emotion, I turn to sex in order to deal with that emotion. So, Jackie, so when you way. say we can eroticize anger, what does that mean for mm-hmm. our listening audience? Well, so when we eroticize anger, um, it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, we have that emotion of anger, but then we, we make it sexual. Um, you know, we know that a lot of pornographic images available on the internet, I think it's somewhere around 84% of images on internet pornography today are some type of violence, usually towards females. I mean, that's a way of expressing that anger sexually. Okay, so it has to do with anger, and it has to do typically with overpowering somebody. And how would you describe that in terms of the shadow side? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we know about the shadow, Carl Jung wrote about this, is that the more that we are unaware of our shadow or the more that we um, ignore our shadow – the more extreme that it goes, the darker the behaviors become. 
um, when we are aware of our shadow and like I was talking about with you, make it an ally with us that we know that part of our shadow. We're not trying to eradicate the shadow, but we understand that it has a functional purpose for us. Um, then the behavior doesn't have to go quite so extreme in the shadow. So, um, you know, there, there are times I think where our shadow side is what allows us to maybe say no to somebody. We may be able to disappoint another person in order to be true to us. And we have to say no. And sometimes that's calling on our shadow side. You know, it's, it's our light side that wants to be good and loving and make everybody happy. But that shadow side allows us to say no to somebody, even though we know we're letting them down or we're giving them an answer that they don't want to hear. And so would you say that this fork has some connection to Debbie Ford? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. I love um, the term that she uses, the light chasers. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that society can um, condition us for is, you know, we, we kind of have in our society this um, view of light being good and dark being bad, or um, upward is good and downward is bad. You know, if we're, if we're moving in an upward direction, that must be a good thing. But if we fall, then we somehow um, connect that with something negative or downward or we're going in the wrong direction. And I think sometimes we chase those upward things, those light things, maybe to our detriment. And it takes us out of our shadow side that maybe sometimes – you know, falling down may be actually forward movement, but we don't see so that now, because we're that only used practical practical terms. What might okay. a client be aspiring to or working towards? Let's talk about that. Okay, so one of the things, you know, one of the examples um, that I talk about, because I think also when we disconnect with our shadow, a lot of times we've disconnected with our body. I think uh, our body is constantly bringing in information through our senses. And so um, it, uh, we, it's giving us sometimes more information than the brain can handle. Um, obviously, when we're young kids, if, if we're working with addiction, we know that a lot of addiction is rooted in some trauma, childhood trauma. And at some point, our body was giving us more information than we could handle. And so, you know, to make sense and to help that child survive in the, in the here and now, there became a disconnect between the head and the body. And that disconnect was meant to be temporary. It, you know, it's not supposed to be long-term. And at some point, you know, this is, I mostly work with adults. Um, at some point, you know, as they're coming into therapy, things have gotten pretty chaotic Things have gotten pretty out of control in their life, and they're coming in looking um, for the healing and looking for a different way of living. And one of the things we've got to do is reconnect that head with the body. Now, one of the things I'll work on with clients is telling them the body never stopped absorbing information, and the body has never stopped telling the story. But your awareness of that story may have been really small in order for you to, you know, graduate high school, in order for you to get up the next day and go to work. Um, you had to decrease sometimes the best thing that the conscious mind can do to increase unconsciousness um, in order to function. And so those things may have happened, but the body is continuing to tell the story. 
the body's continuing to manifest that. So, for example, um, I have a client um, that I work with, and uh, he, he's very concerned about looking good. His body needs to be very desirable. Um, and, and, you know, he's got, he's got a nice physique. He spends a lot of time working out. Now, one of the things that, that I know about him is in his childhood, um, touch was something that he was often deprived of. And that left a big gaping wound. Or if he was touched, often it was done in verbally or not verbally, physically abusive ways. Uh And so touch has become something for him that is highly desirable, but he doesn't quite know how to do it because of this unresolved trauma from childhood. So one of the ways he bypassed that is to have this body that is so desirable, everybody's going to desire him. And he doesn't really have to work on this authentic development of the self. He's just so desirable. In fact, in one of our conversations, he mentioned that his goal was to become the statue of David, to have that kind of body that it would, it would live on in legacy and everybody would desire that. Well, that's a great way um, for him of making his body so attractive and desirable that people would automatically desire to touch him rather than having to do that deeper work of loving his own body and loving and knowing his own self and then bringing that whole self to his relationships. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. In some ways, it's him putting himself out there as a sexual object and not necessarily participating in or in any way initiating sex. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or the, on the other hand, you know, you get clients who do not like who they are. You know, we know this is common for females who have been victims of sexual abuse that, you know, they will gain weight or they will have a body that they don't like and that expresses the trauma that they experienced. Um and you know, when we don't like who we are and this begins with the body that we inhabit, then we tend to have less satisfying relationships, we have less pleasure in life, we tend to have more pain, and usually riskier or unsatisfying sex. Okay, so then, again, obviously, people either embrace their dark side, they run from their dark side, or they figure out a way to make it... um, compatible with who they are and what they believe society will will engage in. For instance, your your client who wants to have the body of David. I mean, clearly, he's figured out a way to objectify himself, and yet he can say, you know what, I'm not participating in any of this. I'm just being a part of watching how others respond to me. Now, mm-hmm. what would you say in therapy, a a therapist would need to do um, when a person wants to be in recovery and they're ready to do the deeper work of healing. Yeah, so one of it, I think it's important as a therapist to be aware that bypassing happens, you know, and, and to have some compassion towards bypassing because the reality is all of us have bypassed certain emotional avenues in our life. So take, for example, this client that I used, you know, recognizing, because one of the ways that he bypasses is he talks about how important his physical health is to him. 
and that he really is just taking care of his body. He's eating healthy um, and he's exercising. And what's wrong with that? Right. But if we're as a therapist, if we're if we know that bypassing happens, we may tune into that and recognize that, you know, having the body of a statue of David is a little extreme. So this isn't just talking about a balanced taking care of the physical self, but this is going a little more extreme than that. And and being able to gently confront the client and talk about bypassing and what actually may be happening in their life. Um. You know, I, I think it's a, it's a necessary, I've had clients before and, you know, maybe sometimes because of finances and, you know, maybe they have done good work and they have a pretty good solid recovery program. Now it's, you know, I've been doing therapy a long time, so it's not uncommon for me to have those clients call me back up maybe four or five, six years later and say, hey, I, I left some stuff off unfinished, and I'm doing okay, but i got to finish this work. And I really will praise them for that because I think it's such a gift that they give themselves as part of their recovery to come back in and really finish this deeper work so that they can be a whole person. So give me an example of some deeper work that they might do. Yeah, so some of that, you know, it'll start with just I'm surprised how often when I ask clients, you know, they'll come in and they'll be talking to me about something that's happening in their life or maybe something that's coming up with their family of origin. And we're talking about that, and I'll ask them, how does that feel in your body? And they just often I'll get a blank look like I don't, I don't know. They'll tell me usually they'll respond with what they think about it. And as, you know, which is, again, that head part. But we know that for a lot of addicts, they've lived in their head. And we don't want to keep them only in their head. We want them to have full access to their their whole self. So just talking with them about, you know, tell me how that feels in your body. Where do you feel it? So that may be, you know, I'll, I'll tell them a feeling is more like a sensation. So if I have a toothache, you know, I may be feeling tired because I'm not sleeping very well and, but what I'm feeling is a throbbing, right? That's that physical sensation. So I want to know I'm feeling a tightness in my chest. I'm feeling this gurgling in my stomach, right? And we start to connect the emotions and what's happening in the story, that part in our head, the story. We start to connect and start to really see how our body's feeling about that. And again, as we start to connect, that's a deeper level of the story, that really is saying this story resonates. This story is doing something to my body. That's how much I feel it. And you obviously understand that and you embrace it and you feel very, very comfortable with it. How often do you find that this kind of situation is almost egotistonic, that people don't want to believe that that's really going on inside of them? In other words, they are rejecting the the darker side and they don't even begin to be able to connect it to any kind of spirituality. Yeah, I think initially, especially when people come back knowing they need to do this work or they've they've done the earlier work of getting sober and, and um all that's required in just getting sober and the 
awareness and the insight that has to come in order to get a good solid recovery program. Um, I, I think then there's, there's almost, I find with clients say like, what's next? Almost, and oftentimes they may not like the answer, but I find that often they are searching for something more. They're searching for that next piece. They feel it. I, I'll say to clients, you feel it in your bones that there's something more um, because there is. But, yeah, I think there's so much in our language um, mm-hmm. that minimizes the body. You know, we talk about mind over matter. Um, we talk about just kind of like if you're exercising, it's really difficult. Just push through it, you know, kind of ignore the body and just keep going. There's so much in our language that supports this viewpoint of forget about what's happening in the body and just do it. And I think oftentimes, I mean, it may be good if you're running a marathon, but to live your life in general that way, it will come at a cost. Absolutely. And tell our listening audience a little bit about you, because obviously you've made it your passion and your mission to help all sorts of people, including sex addicts, and to look at their darker side and to embrace or surrender or acknowledge that it exists so that it's not a suppressed secret that they keep inside of them. And I'm a big believer in you're only as sick as your secrets and also what you resist persists. So you've got to be able to accept that part of you to be able to work with it. So share with our listening audience a little bit about how you got your start and um, what are you doing right now? Yeah, so... Um, like I said, I, I feel like I got into this this part of the profession. I mean, I had my master's of social work and was looking for a job, and literally the only job I could get, and I kept pursuing any other job. The first interview I got was working with drug and alcohol addiction, and I was like, nope, don't want it. I did I probably seven other interviews and did not get any of those jobs, and I got this offer like, within 20 minutes of leaving the appointment, they called and left a voicemail saying that I had the job. So I, I accepted the job and uh, didn't really realize how much I was going to learn about myself and my own family of origin. You know, at that point, I didn't really know that my dad had multiple addictions. But when I started learning and working in the recovery field, I was like, why is this making so much sense to me? I don't even know addicts. Um, and little did I know, I, I had multiple addictions. And I didn't really realize that until I was sitting at his funeral, which is another story. Um, so I really do have a passion for recovery work. I found it very beneficial for my own healing and making sense of so much of my life. Um, so I, like I said, I've been working in um, the recovery field was my first job. That was like back in 1995. And then from there, I started working with, after that first job, I started working with um, victims of sexual trauma and found a lot that trauma looked a lot and and did a lot of damage similar to addiction and um, eventually found a job working with sex addiction and got my CSAT certification. And I now own an intensive outpatient clinic in Utah and uh, have several therapists who work with me. We specialize in um, any kind of addiction, but particularly sex addiction and trauma recovery and relationship healing. 
and I have my own podcast. I think I've been on your show one one other time when we started our podcast. So I've been on it podcast. twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so tell everybody about your podcast. Yeah, so my um, program director and right-hand man at uh, Healing Pass and I decided to start a podcast. Uh, his name's John T. And we started the Thanks for Sharing podcast. And we just really wanted to get into the stories of addiction, the stories really of recovery, and then just kind of talking more about all things healing, relationships, and recovery. And that's got to be inspiring because you, you said John John or Jonathan T. So obviously somebody yeah. who's had a in his background, and he's going right. to share some of what he's been through. Yeah, yeah, we both, you know, in, in various podcasts, I mean, I think the first podcast we kind of gave an overview of each of our stories um, and how we kind of found ourselves working in the addiction field. And then, you know, probably bits and pieces come out in various episodes of our story and, and what we're going through in our own life and how we're applying uh, recovery principles every day. And so how can our listening audience hear your podcast? So uh, we have a Facebook page, Thanks for Sharing Podcast. And we also, if you go to www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com, um, you can listen to episodes. We're also in the iTunes store, the Podbean app, and Google Play. Very good. And, of course, when I think of Thanks for Sharing, I think of the movie, Thanks for Sharing, which yes. can be a bit triggering for some people, but it's yes. an excellent movie on sexual addiction. Did you get to see that? I have. I have seen that. And I usually give a disclaimer when recommending it to because there can be some very triggering images. Um, but I think it did a great job of looking at sex addiction. I think it gr- did a great job of looking at um, sexual anorexia, too. Um, and bringing that piece to play and, and being afraid of really getting into relationships and finding sobriety, but not necessarily finding healing by being in relationships. Well, and I truly believe it's a nice um, depiction of 12-step work. And, of course, 12-step work, oh, yeah. whenever you're, you know, an AA, NA, SAA, SA, it's, it's a slippery slope because – They don't necessarily want what they do advertised, but this is a movie that shows a group of people going to 12-step meetings and their own individual stories around their recovery. And I think it gives a very human side to what men and women face out there with sexual addiction. For instance, my favorite part of that movie is when Gwyneth Paltrow says to... Oh, what's his name? Uh, um, Mark the Holt. Ruf- uh, yes, Mark Leo or whatever. And she yeah. he pulls out his flip phone to get her number because everybody knows that when you have a smartphone, you probably have porn in your pocket. And so he's got a flip phone to avoid that trigger, that temptation. Right. And she looks at him. And she's thinking he's like from the dinosaur ages. And she says, <laughs> what is with the flip phone? And, of course, they've just met, and he's not about to share with her what is with the flip phone. But I loved right. it because it's about people being real. Yes. Yep. 
And I definitely well, think an, that is what your podcast is about. Thanks for sharing. Well, thanks, Carol. Yeah, yeah. We want to keep that real flavor where people can come and get real practical ideas, but also start to feel a connection with, um, you know, we've got some guests lined up to share their story that we're really excited about in the next couple of episodes, as well as just being able to feel kind of a relationship with John and I, as we, as we share our stories and as we share recovery principles on the podcast. Yeah. Very good point. So who are some of your guests that you got lined up? So we have um, a guest. Well, we've got a couple of guests. Um, I think our next one I'm blanking. I think her name is Rachel and we're going to be interviewing her this Friday, and she talks about um, relationships with food. So we'll be looking at kind of that relationships with food and being authentic with who you are in your life, where you are. Um, And then we've got a couple of men who we haven't set dates. We're still coordinating, scheduling that. Um, But we've got a couple of men coming on and talking about their story, about really finding themselves, connecting with their authentic man, and uh, some of the hurdles that they had to overcome growing up as young boys and transitioning into manhood, where we have a lot of um, I think damaging societal messages that we give to boys about being a man. So well, they're absolutely. coming on to share their stories. Yeah. And, you know, we oftentimes talk about how addicts disconnect the head and the body, and addicts live in the head. Now, how does this deeper work help to reconnect the mind, body, and the soul? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, again, I, I find, I, I found this for myself in my own recovery, in my own healing, um, that even talking about the mind, body, and the soul as separate things is not the way that they're supposed to be, that they are supposed to be so intertwined. And oftentimes they are, but what has happened to us in our life has required us to fracture them so that we've got a separate mind, body, and a separate soul instead of letting them all flow together and be one. Um, And I know that sounds a little kind of woo-woo talk kind of stuff, but I really do feel like, you know, when when the mind, the body, and the soul are operating as one, we really have a sense of ourselves as being a whole person. Um, We're able to maneuver in what we need to do in our life. And we can check that, you know, am I saying that I need to do that because I want to do that? Or is that really coming from a place of truth within me? Um, But I can also know when I need to sacrifice for the betterment of the group or for my family or for my relationship. But I end up not resenting that sacrifice because, again, that's coming from me as an authentic person being willing to do that. Okay, and so clearly you said that obviously as an authentic person you have to decide do you want to do that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously people that are listening to this show are either addicts, sex addicts, or they love somebody who's a sex addict, and they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out what they can do to, to kind of not heal their life, but to make it much more manageable. Now, as we begin to end this show, what would you say they need to do to 
make that ultimate difference in their life and begin to start working on their issues. Yes, I I think initially, you know, what we need to do is we have to do some excavating and we have to go um, beyond what we've already dug up. Now, I've got some um, that I'm going to make available for your listeners, um, a couple of exercises that I've got that I'm going to be including in the book that I'm writing, but can make those available um, for your listeners on my website, which is um, www.healingpathsrecovery.com. And they'll be in the store. We have a a tab for store, and I'll um, give a coupon code. I don't have that yet, but I'll give a coupon code for Carol the Coach listeners that they can enter in and they can get those worksheets. So some of that will help um, bring up, like, what's going on. Just one is a different – there's three different – there's the – excavating work, the exploring discovery work that they'll be doing. There's a list of questions that they'll kind of just kind of get into this one word response answer, but it it really is telling in what they're giving. And then the next piece um, they're looking at is the, um, what needs to be done now. And then the next piece is the legacy work. So we're doing some vision work. So it kind of just these questionnaires that start these three pages of questions. Um, initially, it looks like, oh, this is fun. Like, what's my favorite color? I mean, that's not really a question. But it looks simple like that. But what, they, what I find with clients who have done these is as they get to it, they almost have somewhat of a map for where they need to go in their past, what's happening presently that connects the past to the present, and where do we want this to go in the future? So you've got that set of worksheets, and then um, there's another one that really starts to help understand, connect with what's going on in the body and understand where that's coming from and what's the story that my body is trying to express in order to heal. Okay, so one more time for our listening audience. They can, how can they access this information and, and use Carol the Coach as part of the Yes, if they they go to, and this will be up tomorrow, starting tomorrow, if they go to, um, thanks for sharing, or not thanks for sharing, sorry, if they go to healingpathsrecovery, and that's pass with an S, all one word, healingpathsrecovery.com, and then there's going to be a tab on that website that says store. And then those sheets will be available, and it'll say, you know, for the Carol the Coach listener, enter in this um, code, and you'll get them for free to download. Fantastic. Jackie, thank you so much. My my listening audience is always looking for free resources, so I appreciate that. And obviously, when they get on your site, they're going to see, you know, what that site is like. And when your book comes out, they're going to want to buy it, because if you're an addict understandably, you're either an addict because you got involved um, early on in a habit that became compulsive, or you had some sort of trauma reenactment that occurred from your childhood, kind of that darker side that you talk Mm -hmm. about that um, comes with you. I mean, once it's there, you carry it with you. So if you were going to be talking to my listening audience, what would you tell them in terms of, you know, what they can do 
to deal with all the shame and the pain that sits inside of them. Well, I think it's particularly important to either have a therapist that you trust and who has done this work. And clients get a sense for how much work their therapists have done themselves. Um, Because I truly do believe that as a therapist, you can't take your client where you have not been yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have the same problem, but you have to have done the same depth of work or you can't help your clients. Um, and, and so finding a client or, or, I mean, a therapist, or maybe you've got a sponsor, because um, I think it's really important as we're doing this deeper level of work that we have somebody who is walking through the pain and walking through the healing with us. I think it's, you know, it can be really hard work, and it's all the more harder if we feel alone. And oftentimes we won't do it if we're alone. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with you. Spiritual, emotional, and sexual bypass has, well, maybe you can do it on your own, but there's no reason to do it on your own. You need to find a specialist, and obviously you're one of the specialists. There's no doubt about it. This is an area that you feel very comfortable with. And, I mean, I highly recommend that my clients read uh Mm-hmm. The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, because it really says that you and me and our addicts that we work with, we all have a dark side. That We're born with a dark side, and that we have to be able to get comfortable with that and know how to work with it as opposed to it working with us. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I talk about in my book is even in the, you know, in the book or in the movie, the Disney movie, Peter Pan, um, he's this kid that never wants to grow up and yet he has a shadow. And when he gets disconnected from it, you know, trying to escape from the darling's bedroom and the windowsill comes down and snaps his shadow off, Peter senses a loss and knows Mm -hmm. he needs that part of himself and tries to, you know, reattach it with soap and eventually Wendy ends up sewing it back on for him. But I think that's important to know is that that dark side of us or that shadow side of us, it also helps make us a whole person. It's not something that we want to, but we want to become aware of it because the more we become aware of it, the less extreme it goes in its behavior. Oh, 100%. I would 100% agree with that. And the more comfortable you get with that side, the more you can feel like you can explore all the other sides of you. It's when Mm -hmm. it's that old adage, what you resist persists. So if you ignore that part and yet really you know it's there, then you're fighting yourself. And that's not what life is about. So as we end for tonight, Jackie, one more time, how can people View your website and stay abreast of the book that you're you're going to complete by the fall. Yes, yes, that's my goal. Okay. Yeah. So how can they so, get a hold of you? So um, my email address is Jackie J A C K I E dot healingpaths at gmail dot com, or my website is www.healingpathsrecovery.com. dot dot com. And you can also find me on www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. Here you go. You are a very busy woman, and we so appreciate you coming on the show. Promise me you'll let us know 
when the book is ready so that I can let all my listening audience know and uh, we can be enlightened and and understand more about our shadow side and spirituality and life in general. I will. Thank you, Carol, and thanks for the work you're doing. All right. You too, Jackie. Keep me posted. Okay, will do. All right. So that was Jackie Pack, and obviously she's given our listeners a special uh, discount. It starts tomorrow, so don't get on the website tonight. But clearly, this is a woman who has made it her mission to help people to accept themselves. And she can be seen at, uh, you can you can look her up, Jackie Pack, that's J-A-C-K-I-E, Pack, L-C-S-W, at HealingPath.Incorporated. And, um, you know, you can get her podcast at Thanks for Sharing, which is the name of their podcast. And this is a woman who does it all, so feel free if you want to work with her, if you want her information, you can contact her at 801-628-6344. She's the owner and clinical director of Healing Paths Incorporated. All right, well, I will see you next week. So as I say at the end of every show, I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself And I want you to embrace that dark side because there is a light side as a strong part of you, and that's what we're working on. But it's the dark side that in some ways brought the light side to be in. I so appreciate all the time that you spend with us and look forward to more sex help with Carol the Coach. Have a great week.